This is the Ask Mr. DNS podcast, the inaugural episode, episode number one. I'm your co-host, Matt Larson, and with me is... Cricket Lou, your co-host. This is an idea that we've had for some time to do this podcast, and we are finally pulling it together and uh, and actually doing it rather than just talking about it. And, uh, and there has been much talking. <laughs> There has been more talking than recording, that's for sure. By quite a bit, yeah. So we thought we'd give you uh, a little bit of background about us so you know who we are and and why we're doing this. So Cricket, you want to go first? Sure, sure. Um, So uh, my name's Cricket Liu. I am uh, the co-author of of DNS and Bind. I suppose that's probably what I'm I'm best known for. I've been working uh, in the DNS area for, gosh, it's nearly 20 years now, I think. Um, I started at HP way back in uh, the 1980s on the HP internet, back when I was a kid, and uh, ran the hp.com domain for for quite some time, actually, for about four and a half or five years, and then left to start the uh, internet consulting practice at at HP. And uh, that was where I met you, Matt. Um, actually, at, at, at HP, not at uh, not not in the internet consulting practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, we we left. I guess I'm I'm going to have to to give part of your bio. We left in uh, 1997 and uh, left HP together to to form Acme Byte and Wire, which was uh, a boutique DNS training and consulting company. And uh, we had a great run of about three and a half years and sold the company in 2000. Um, and uh, I'll let you uh, take Acme's history from from there. Uh, since then, I've uh, been around a little bit. Um, ended up at a company called Infoblocks that uh, produces DNS and DHCP appliances. So that's where I am now, and I'm the uh, vice president of architecture there, which basically doesn't mean anything. It means vice president without portfolio. That would be a cooler title, actually. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Do you think you could get it changed? Uh, you know, I think that the title is so immaterial to what I do <laughs> that I probably could. <laughs> okay, well, I am Matt Larson, and uh, I will start my bio at uh, HP as well. That's where I met Cricket in uh, 1992. Um, got hired there out of uh, out of college, and uh, I remember sort of wondering about the interview process as it was going along, and, and then I... I don't know if you remember Cricket, I met you kind of almost as an afterthought. They heard that I knew about DNS and this thing called the internet, and they said, oh, you should talk to Cricket. And I do remember I that. And, I, it, yeah, and I talked to you and remember thinking, oh, this this might be okay after all. And so... Uh, yeah, yeah, and I remember you had a paper that you had written, a, a, a really nice, nicely written uh, piece of documentation that you had written for Northwestern when you worked there. I have no memory of that. That's been, that's been lost to <laughs> history. But it was about DNS. I, I remember that it actually oh, okay. was about uh, management right. of DNS uh, at the the lab at Northwestern that you worked at. Oh, okay. Well, cool. Um, yeah, and so indeed, I uh, as Cricket says, I was at uh, at Northwestern, and I did start working on DNS and internet stuff there. So I actually had was doing some DNS administration in college. So I guess I, uh, you know, I think I, I do go back twenty years as well in the DNS field. Come to think of it, because that was the late eighties. But anyway, well, I worked with, with Cricket at HP, and after Cricket left to start the internet consulting practice, then uh, uh, I ran HP.com, and then uh, I also 
left to go to the consulting side of HP, and but in a you know slightly different area than, than cricket. And uh, we we did have this realization that our time was being billed at uh, a lot more than we were getting paid. <laughs> and, yeah. And that led to uh, Acme Bite and Wire uh, that Cricket already mentioned. And uh, we, we did have a good run. Uh, a statistic I like to quote people that I remember fondly was that we had 10 of the Fortune 100 as our customers. Yeah, pretty remarkable for, for what was a two-man and later a three-man shop. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so then uh, also, as Cricket said, uh, we, we, we sold the company. I guess you didn't say to whom. Uh, we sold it to, uh, to Network Solutions, uh, and the day after that, they were uh, bought by VeriSign. And we did know that was coming. That wasn't a surprise to us. And uh, so I, I remain at VeriSign to this day, uh, eight plus years later. And wow. uh, yeah, <laughs> it makes me an old. It makes me an old timer now. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. I do all manner of DNS things there, and uh, in fact, I record this right now, sitting in uh, a hotel room in Minneapolis, where I'm attending the IETF, representing representing VeriSign here, doing DNS stuff. And uh, I, I'm a vice president, and I don't even have a title, actually. Um, the title I s say is vice president of DNS research. How's that? It works for me. Yeah, and I work for uh, work for the CTO, but I just do kind of DNS stuff. So there you go. That's that's more than they probably wanted to know about us. I'm sure it is. <laughs> but, you know, it's our podcast, so that's what they get. There we go. All right, so it is the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. And uh, so now I think we need to talk about uh, the origin of Ask Mr. DNS. And uh, again, Cricket, since he's kind of your creation, I'm going to let you start the story. Okay. Well, I actually thought about this uh, at, at some length. Probably I gave it more attention than it really deserved. And I remembered that I believe I modeled the original Ask Mr. DNS, which appeared way, way back uh, in the early days at HP when I ran HP.com as part of a a newsletter called the Name Server News, but I believe I modeled it after um, Ask. It was was it Ask Mister Protocol? Yes, Mike O'Dell. Yeah, yeah. Those 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 were great. I never saw them when they came out, um, but I saw the collected uh, works of them, and they were they were great reading. And and they in turn are modeled after, uh, I believe, uh, Ask Miss Manners. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Where uh, where there's a sort of a particular writing style and uh, probably the most characteristic uh, component is that or characteristic is that uh, uh, Miss Manners, uh, Mr. Protocol and Mr. DNS all refer to themselves in the third person. Yes, yes uh, like many pro athletes nowadays <laughs> but yeah so I, I, I wanted to have a column that was, was sort of similar to that uh, the only thing I knew about was DNS so I couldn't have a full-blown Ask Mr. Protocol um, so hence, uh, ask, ask Mr. DNS. And it was always Mr. because, of course, neither of us has a doctorate, right? Yes. When, uh, when, when I left uh, HP we, and, and we founded uh, Acme Byte and Wire, we sort of took Mr. DNS with us as well. Do you want to take it from there? We kidnapped him. Yeah, we, we, we pretty much knew that uh, you know, that was probably the end of Mr. DNS at HP if we uh, didn't do anything to, to keep him alive. So then at Acme Byte and Wire, we resurrected him and he would answer questions via email and we put the answers on our website and it there grew to be quite a, a repository of DNS knowledge that uh, Mr. DNS had imparted over the years. 
Yeah, I want to say that there were, what, a thousand answers or something? I bet it was that many by the end. At the end of its run? In fact, just the other day I had um, an email forwarded to me by multiple hops, somebody looking for a particular URL at the old website saying, I I really need the answer to this question and and this URL is not resolving. So the loss, the loss of Mr. DNS, because of course the, uh, the the archive of the Mr. DNS answers, I believe, is 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 missing, or maybe the Internet Archive has a copy of it, but I I believe that it's mostly missing, right? Well, actually, uh, I I have it. There's a a one U uh, penguin box literally standing against the wall in my office. Oh, okay, okay. So it is it is out there somewhere. I I was gonna you know liken the the loss of the archive to the you know the loss of the the library at Alexandria or something, but <laughs> oh. now I can't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I could I could I could destroy the hard disks. <laughs> you could pretend that it's gone. Yeah. 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 So Mr. DNS, and now here we are uh, resurrecting Mr. DNS yet again. I, I don't know that we'll go to the trouble of referring to Mr. DNS in the third person, will we? That might be might be too hard, too hard and too ridiculous in a podcast. Yeah, it would sound sound a little little too affected, yeah. I think. <laughs> so the idea here is that we will uh, we will accept uh, we will accept questions, and um, that that email address to accept questions is uh, Mr. DNS, so M R D N S at uh, ask dash Mr. DNS dot com. Excellent. Do I, do I owe you something for the registration? <laughs> we'll work that out later. Okay. We don't, of course, have uh, have a question submitted by uh, a listener because, you know, we don't, as of yet, have any listeners. We do have a question that we made up, which is kind of sad. We don't want to have to make up make up questions and, and lie to everyone in future podcasts. Uh, we'd like to have actual questions sent in by actual listeners so that we can give actual answers. But... For now, for our inaugural podcast episode, uh, we're going to have to rely on a question that, that we made up. Though I, I'm going to, I'm going to say it as if uh, someone had submitted it. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. So, so I have a question. Please go ahead. And the question is: So, if I restrict access to recursion on my name server, I'm not vulnerable to the Kaminsky attack, right? Wrong. <laughs> Um, it certainly certainly uh, is much easier to compromise a name server that uh, actually is open to recursive queries, but it's certainly also possible to compromise a name server that limits access to recursive queries because you can uh, induce it to send recursive. Uh, you know, to, you can induce other hosts on the network to send uh, that name server recursive queries via various means. So, for example, you could send electronic mail from certain addresses and probably cause those addresses to be to be looked up, or you could, you know, send an electronic mail message to somebody that included a whole lot of embedded links that uh, the mail user agent might then try to resolve. Absolutely, and in fact, if you go to Dan Kaminsky's presentation that he gave at Black Hat uh, over uh, this would have been in August of uh, this year, two thousand and eight, he spends uh, really more time in the presentation discussing all the different ways that you could use this attack and therefore all the different ways that you could could cause it to be exploited much more time on that than on a description of the attack itself which is really uh, we neglected to say this sort of the mother of all DNS cache poisoning attempts he um, sort of put together some various pieces to realize that there was this vulnerability in the DNS protocol that let an attacker um, 
try again and again and again to to poison your cash and he made the observation that um, you know the target is not necessarily uh, the actual answer of the question that the recursive name server asks but uh, the contents of the authority section that the names of name servers and so once you poison the name servers for a zone of your choosing uh, the game's over because then now the now poisoned recursive name server is going to query your evil poisoned name servers for say well the domain of your choices right or sometimes in fact the the data that you want to poison uh, is actually in the authority section so it's not it's not even necessarily that uh, well well it's in the additional data section so for example you're you're sending back poison data um, you're claiming for example that uh, the authoritative name server for you know some zone uh, some nonce.paypal.com, for example, is www.paypal.com. And by the way, here's the additional data, uh, the address of www.paypal.com, which then gets inserted right into the cache. Right. And depending on how uh, sophisticated the uh, recursive name server is, uh, you know, it may or may not redistribute uh, that www.paypal.com that you, you stuck stuck in there as the name of a... Uh, of a name server, you know, some some name servers will promote data from the additional section and give it out as an answer. Uh, others, however, will not, and uh, that's as I know, Cricket knows, uh, and that is uh, the kind of sophistication uh, that we're seeing. Really, this knowledge of this attack has raised the state of the art uh, and the the interest in the DNS engineering community to figure out are there additional techniques that uh, would have maybe been too much trouble or uh, too difficult that now we could employ to try to get around this cash poisoning attack. It's kind of like, I guess, uh, to use an analogy, you know, after you've uh, drilled all the oil, I understand that uh, you can go back and get oil out of, what is it, shale, right? That's right. That's right. It's more expensive, right. but but once you know, once a barrel of oil is uh, you know passes a certain certain uh, price per gallon or a price per barrel, then uh, you know it suddenly the the more costly extraction techniques become become practical. Right. So it's a lot easier if you're writing a name server to uh, just lump all the data in kind of a big old flat cache. And uh, in that case, why if you hear about www.paypal.com uh, in the additional section. Uh, you, you would give it out if somebody asks for it in, in, in the answer section in a subsequent query. But what would be harder then is to remember the context in which you heard about that answer and uh, only use that data in that context. And that's what we see some mm -hmm. resolvers doing now. Yep. Yep. Very good. So, so did we answer the question? I think we I did. I think we did. I think that was the first answer. <laughs> If, if only well, we have more questions. So I, th I think we need to repeat the address <laughs> for questions, which is uh, MrDNS, MRDNS, at ask-MrDNS.com. All right. All right. Now, uh, should we talk a little bit about, about some of the, the surveying that we've been doing, some of the studies that we've been uh, undertaking? That's right. We, we want to not only answer questions in the podcast, we want to um, talk about other interesting DNS things and possibly other non DNS things that we find interesting, and uh, we both have done done some survey work, and we wanted to talk about that. So, uh, Cricket, why don't you lead off? Yeah, well, I should probably start by saying that um, the survey work I'm talking about actually wasn't done by us. It wasn't done by Infoblox. It wasn't done by me. It was done by 
um, a clever bunch of folks at a company called the Measurement Factory uh, who have a lot of expertise uh, in this area. And we use them to get kind of an unbiased look, I think, at, um, at this. And they also have the requisite ex expertise uh, to develop the code to do the necessary, um, the necessary study. And, and the, what we do basically, we've done this every year now for four years, so since 2005, um, we have uh, commissioned the study. The measurement factory goes out there. They start with about 5% of the routable IP version for address space chosen at random. And uh, they comb that address space looking for name servers, uh, sending queries for well-known domain names looking for responses. And we just count how many name servers respond within that 5% of the uh, the address space. And when we find these name servers, we actually send them a series of uh, additional queries to find out how they're configured, uh, if, if possible, to fingerprint them to find out what make and model of name server software they're running. Uh, and then sort of as a separate study, we start with uh, the COM and net zone data, which we get from you guys at VeriSign, and we choose at random about a million subzones of COM and net, and we look at the configuration of those zones to see if, for example, um, the folks who administer those zones use SPF, or do they have one or more name servers that uh, speak IPv6, or uh, do they sign their zone using DNSSEC? So it's pretty interesting stuff, and the fact that we've done it for the last four years allows us to see some trends out there on the internet and uh, and really learn, I think, quite a bit about the the state of uh, DNS out there. Well, so what did you see in the latest survey? <laughs> well, the 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 big thing, and it's sort of related to the the Kaminsky vulnerability. Um, one of the things that that we look at is, of course, how many name servers there are out there on the internet. Um, the, the top line result, if you will. And this year our estimate was 11.9 million name servers that we could actually query from uh, our set of IP addresses and get answers from uh, very, very close actually to last year's estimate, which was 11.7 million name servers. So that's the extrapolated number, right? That's the extrapolated number, exactly. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the sample of 5% times 20, basically. Um, and then of those, we found that about 44% of them were completely open to recursive queries. That is, they would accept a recursive query from any old IP address to look up any old domain name uh, and would re resolve that for us. Um, that's uh, better, actually, than it, it's been in, in past years. Last year it was 52%, so we're seeing a, a gradual downward trend. And the reason that number is important is because uh, as we said earlier when we were answering the Ask Mr. DNS question, it's a lot easier to poison the cache of a name server that's open to recursion, and also those open recursive name servers can be used in uh, DDoS attacks. They make very, very good amplifiers, and they can be used in big DDoS attacks against targets out there on the Internet. So we had hoped that we would see even a more dramatic improvement than the 8% change we saw uh, between... 2007 and 2008, and 44%, you know, is, is I guess nothing to sneeze at, and an 8% change year over year is, you know, probably a million name servers that have been secured, but 44% of, of a population of 12 million name servers still gives you, you know, well over 5 million name servers to choose from if you're trying to poison a cache or uh, uh, enlist a bunch of 
a bunch of uh, accomplices in a in a DDoS attack against someone. Yeah, that's that's way too high. That number should be lower. Yeah, I mean, ideally, we'd we'd see a number that was basically zero, right? Um, almost nobody has a, a good reason to run a, a wide open recursive name server, you know, unless you're uh, unless you're Open DNS or somebody running big recursive name servers in the sky for just anybody to use. Uh, as follow up to the the test for open recursion this year, since uh, we were doing the study only a few months after the Kaminsky vulnerability uh, was announced, we looked specifically at patches for the uh, Kaminsky vulnerability. And of course, the the main uh, method that name server developers have used to mitigate the Kaminsky vulnerability is to use lots and lots of query ports, right? It used to be the case that um, bind name servers, in particular, when they sent queries to other name servers, they'd always use the same source port. Um, uh, so in order to make it more difficult for uh, a would-be cache poisoner to uh, insert a response uh, into a name server's cache, we started randomizing the source port we were using. We'd randomize the query port, and that meant that in addition to guessing uh, the message ID that a name server was using, a uh, someone trying to poison the cache would also have to guess the source port that uh, we had sent the query from. Um, what we found was that of the 44% of name servers that were open to recursive queries, about 25% of them had not been patched at all and uh, were what I would call trivially vulnerable to the, uh, the Kaminsky vulnerability. Uh, someone with, with the right tools with an exploit script would have been able to insert data, you know, arbitrary data into uh, those name service caches in a matter of, um, you know, less than a minute, uh, assuming sufficient bandwidth. Yeah, I've seen proof proof of concepts where uh, you have some of the machines on the same LAN and it can be done in, in mere seconds if you only have to guess that 16-bit uh, DNS message ID as opposed to also having to, having to guess not only that as an attacker, but the 16-bit source port. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 really a, a game-ending kind of vulnerability. If uh, if somebody can poison arbitrary data into your recursive name server's cache, then you can't trust the name server. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, you can't trust the internet, right. Really, for for anything at all, right? I mean, you can't send email and know that it got to its destination uh, without being intercepted. You can't uh, go to a website and know that you got to the right website. Yeah, it's 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 game over. That's that's absolutely the right the right term for it. Yeah. Now I know that you did uh, some similar work, uh, some complementary work, uh, Matt, from your your particular uh, perch up there at Verisign. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good segue into that. I did some analysis of queries coming into the uh, .com and .net name servers because all the uh, we have a single platform of authoritative servers that are authoritative for both uh, .com and .net. And I remember that after the details of the Kaminsky vulnerability were were released, uh, right away people started to look at uh, traffic. They tried tried to do analyses to figure out are people patching because uh, the patches. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, we should we should say uh, and, and probably our listeners, if they if they've found this podcast, they're probably familiar with the Kaminsky vulnerability and the timetable, but. It was in early July that there was the coordinated CERT announcement and patches from many vendors to randomize UDP source ports, which is, of course, not a complete solution to uh, 
getting around this vulnerability, but it it's the the best tool we have at the moment, and it was the most obvious and easy thing to do. Yeah, it's a stopgap measure, really. Correct. Yeah, and it was really uh, really unprecedented to see that many patches, at least in the DNS community, that many patches come out uh, at one time, and and people, although the details weren't available of the attack at that point. Uh, People made it very clear. The vendors made it very clear that this was serious, and you you better better patch. And, and right away, then people started to to try to figure out well, who's who's patching? Has, is 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 this working? <laughs> yep. And uh, some folks at the .at, the Austrian registry, uh, did a study. And I remember reading that and thinking, well, wow, that's uh, that's an interesting technique. And I think I, I should to do something similar. And right around the same time, I I, I give you credit as well cricket you sent me an email uh saying hey you should you should do something like this from uh, a .com or .net perspective yeah well that was my first thought looking at it i i thought well this is really interesting but it's really just austria and and somebody with the right perspective on this could do a much broader study yeah and that would be you <laughs> and so i so i did and and it quickly became clear that uh this was going to be a lot of uh, a lot of work so i pulled in my colleague uh, Dave Blacka at VeriSign, who's a very smart engineer who knows a lot about DNS. Uh, in fact, he's the, the lead engineer on uh, VeriSign's uh, proprietary name server platform, Atlas, that uh, serves up .com and .net. But I, uh, I pulled him in. He couldn't resist. And so the two of us uh, did this work. And I have to certainly give credit where credit is due here. But we looked at 24 hours of traffic to .com and .net, and that turned out to be uh, 34.2 billion queries. Wow. <laughs> lots, lots of queries. That, that was the biggest challenge in this research was just dealing with the vast amount of data. And that was almost 5 million unique IP addresses across that 24-hour period. And we decided we didn't want to look at all of those because we get a lot of stray uh, one-off kind of queries at .com and .net the volume is so big that we see a little bit of everything and, and even though ostensibly these are in theory all uh, recursive name servers sending traffic to the authoritative servers for .com and .net we didn't want to look at everything we thought let's let's have a cutoff so we we decided we'll only look at those IP addresses that have sent at least 10 queries because that's now we're talking a traffic pattern of something that we really could legitimately think is uh, an actual recursive name server and let's say not somebody sitting at uh, a linux workstation running dig right right and so once we did that we were down to uh only three million uh addresses that sent at least uh 10 queries and then uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of complicated math ensued that uh, I will spare you the, the details of. We had a couple <laughs> couple of different different ways, and uh, it made me wish I'd taken a statistics class in in college. Uh, but we had had some some help from other folks, and in fact, uh, uh, to again give give credit to uh, the measurement factory folks, Dwayne Wessels there uh, had developed a particular technique uh, that we used as a starting point and uh, you know based on standard deviation of the set of uh, ports and message IDs and we we started with Dwayne's Dwayne's technique and and went from there but I I think what's uh, what's most interesting is to just uh, jump right to the conclusions here which is that um, based on our different uh, analysis methods when we when we finally looked at it we get uh, 
uh, an obviously unpatched set of, depending on how you look at it, uh, 28 to 30% of all the named servers. Wow, so it's very close to our results, really, I, you know, just within a few percentage points. Yeah, so that that was gratifying that, uh, you know, that it's nice to see that two, two completely independent surveys are getting a comparable number. But it's uh, it's also disturbing that our number is even slightly larger than yours. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's also it's also worth noting that your methodology, of course, is completely different from ours. We're actually probing name servers out there. We're only able to to check uh, whether a name server that's open to recursion is patched. Whereas you can see from the queries that are sent by these name servers out there on the internet, you can see what source port they're using. And if you see ten of them. Uh, and you know it's it's all the same source port, or it's monotonically increasing, or whatever. Then you you know that uh, you know that they're they're not patched. So you can actually see uh, I think a, a broader range of, of unpatched servers. And, and moreover, you know that they're they're actually actively sending queries, whereas the ones we find, who knows, maybe they were just sitting there idle. Right. And we ended up with actually three categories uh, because it it was hard to draw a. a bright line at any point in the data and say, aha, these are patched and these are unpatched because there was such a variation. So we ended up drawing two lines and saying, well, these are, are obviously unpatched, which is the 28 to the 30% number I mentioned. And then we were able to say, well, these are probably almost certainly patched. And that ends up to be about 18 or 19%. And then wow. there's this big gray area, which is, you know, we just can't tell based on the traffic pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would have wow, but that's a big, big gray area. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. Now we also did. Um, I, I want to just just quickly mention, uh, sort of as a, as a as a tag to that, and not really related. But as long as I was going to be pouring through all that data, I, there were some other things that I was interested in, uh, and one of those was the uptake of EDNS zero. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you did you guys do any measuring of that in your study in your survey? You know, I. Don't know that we did. Uh, it, that's funny because we actually have some tools from the measurement factory that we call the DNS advisor, which which do check to see, for example, whether a name server accepts TCP-based queries, whether it accepts eDNS zero-based queries, and, and things like that. So, um, but but I don't I don't recall that being broken out. Well, I've I've long been interested in this, and uh, our real-time monitoring tools show us on a real-time basis uh, what percentage of queries coming in. Uh, have EDNS zero, but that's just a snapshot uh, in, in time. We don't, without looking at a large amount of data like this particular study did, we don't know, for example, how many queriers are EDNS zero capable as opposed to the, the queries. Uh, but but now I know for this particular 34.2 billion query sample, um, if, if we look at that, that set of queries, 57.5% uh, uh, had the opt record and were therefore EDNS zero capable. Hmm. Okay. That's actually, I, I think, even a little smaller than I would have expected, given, of course, how many bind name servers there are out there and how long bind is, has supported EDNS zero. It, it, it is. And it, it, it really does make me wonder how many of, we need to look more into uh, all these addresses that are querying us and trying to, uh, trying to figure out what, what they are. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really interesting information to get. And and of the of all those eDNS zero queries, um, almost fifty percent had the DO bit, the DNSSEC OK bit set, which means that if we had DNSSEC information uh, because let's say .com or .net had been signed, they would want that data back. 
Yeah, you had told me that before, and that that's an astounding number to me. I, I would have expected almost nobody to be to be asking for for DNSSEC data. Um, it, it, it obviously that that means that uh, there are common name server implementations that that in their default configuration request DNSSEC data, right? Right, and I I've heard the uh, the developers. Uh justification for this and I, I can't remember it and uh, don't know that I bought it but uh, the, the people have made these design decisions feel that uh, this is the right decision that even though you're not doing DNSSEC validation um, you, you set this bit so yeah bind does it the unbound uh, unbound recursive name server does it as well sets do uh, I should you know <laughs> re recent versions of bind yeah but then let's look at it from total queryers. If we look at that total, uh, almost five million uh, unique IPs, uh, only twenty-eight and a half percent were EDNS zero capable. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so the the the, the number is even is even smaller. So uh, I think this is an area of further research to figure out uh, why that number isn't higher. Um, there, I mean, we we know from bitter experience that there's a long, long tail of uh, crufty DNS implementations that just don't die and continue to stay on the internet and send queries. But I don't know that even that can explain this low number since EDNS0 has been around for so long. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, it makes me wonder whether a lot of these are sort of embedded in various types of customer premises equipment. The the study that uh, Ray Ballas did uh, talked about, about some of their ability to handle DNSSEC, but I'd wonder if maybe some of those also weren't able to handle EDNS zero. That I think is a good guess. Yeah. So that uh, that's the highlights of the work that I did. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about uh, your survey? No, you know I, the the uh, detailed results are up at the Measurement Factory's website. If you go to dns.measurement-factory.com, uh, you can you can find the the detailed results. And of course, you can uh, go to the Infoblox website www.infoblocks. That's uh, infoblox.com, uh, and you can find uh, an executive summary of the results as well. So if you're interested, um, that's that's freely available to you. And likewise, the results of uh, uh, our research were presented first at the uh, 2008 uh, OARC workshop. OARC is, uh, uh, well, DNS OARC is the full name. It's uh, Operations Analysis and Research Center, and it is an organization devoted to DNS operational study. Uh, people who do DNS operations get get together and and talk about well DNS operations. And uh, <laughs> and so you can go to uh, www.dns-oarc.net and follow the links to the uh, OARC workshop 2008 in Ottawa, and you can find the the link to the the presentation. OARC sounds really vaguely Nordic, doesn't it? OARC. Like a, he, maybe he was kin to Odin or uh, Thor or somebody, another member of the Aesir. <laughs> well, that, I don't think that's what they had in mind when they named the organization. <laughs> <laughs> they could have chosen to pr pronounce it some, you know, ORC or something like that, but ORC it is. ORC it is, yes. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our first episode. I think it does. I think it does. And, and thanks very much to, to anybody who has had the patience to uh, stick with us through this uh, entire inaugural episode. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you. And uh, episodes will appear at uh, irregular intervals. <laughs> 
but uh, we hope not too infrequently. So so check back on our uh, ask-mrdns.com website to find uh, new episodes and other ancillary material that we may post about the podcast. So uh, thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>